0: Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger.
1: So the fun thing about recording uh, this podcast remotely while we remain in in quarantine um, is watching Brad's face slowly transition to match the color of the jerseys behind him as summer comes along (laughs) almost everything about this is terrible like uh post processing has just like tripled since we started doing it in quarantine the video quality is obviously crap no one wants to watch it this way um daniel rossi from from rd woodworking made us a gorgeous custom podcast table which isn't even in the videos now because we're not here but it is fun watching brad slowly slowly toast into a beautiful red wings red It's not
2: even that fun remotely because my face has been handling it relatively well. It's, I don't know how the the camera will pick up, but my arms are just red because as someone who is, um, just naturally very pale and has an impossible time tanning, I have probably spent 80 hours outdoors, uh, in the sun so far, uh, this spring slash summer and, um,
1: yeah, I am
2: baked to a crisp and not in the fun way.
1: So you haven't conditioned yourself like Evan, who was obviously out on the golf course daily from, I would say, three days after birth. Evan was probably your first tea time. Yeah. 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 Evan tan's better than I do.
3: You, uh, yeah, but that's only below where my sleeves are. I need to do, I need a couple of days of tarps off to to even out because right now it's bad.
2: I have to start doing all the yard work shirtless this week uh, because the farmer's tan is aggressive
1: this year. Uh, Patreon exclusive content is Brad is not Brad shirtless in the yard. If you are not a patron, we're going to send you uh, pictures and videos of shirtless Brad. So take that as you will. I'm willing to hedge my bets on that one.
2: Won't even take any milkshakes to get me to that yard.
1: Ah, uh, wow. Wow, wow, do I ever want to just end this episode right now.
2: (laughs) Weekly dad joke out of the way, and we're moving on. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Regrettably, I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco, the crispy one.
3: Crispy Crisco. I like it. And I'm Evan.
1: Patented, copyrighted, Um,
3: trademarked, whatever you want to call it.
1: On this episode of the winged wheel podcast we have a uh, a fun interview with recurring but um always excellent guest to have on the show uh draft analyst and expert scott wheeler from the athletics so we are going to get to that interview shortly um had a great conversation with scott who just released his rankings um on the athletic his final rankings or i mean final as much as anyone's can be right now without knowing what the actual draft is nhl 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 NHL. so um great conversation with him we touch on a lot of different things uh regarding uh first round and second round prospects uh people that the red wings can target or players that they can look at with their likely fourth but maybe better pick and then pick 32 and onwards so um really really great talk with scott so hope you enjoyed that and then um on the other end of that we are going to get into our play and preview and then depending on how it goes probably just overtime. so um anything that we want to cover before we transition to scott guys and tepid silence thank you all right so without further ado our interview with scott wheeler enjoy welcome back scott wheeler to the winged wheel podcast um scott of the athletic and scott who has just released his um full top 100 draft rankings uh thanks so much for joining us and i'm so sorry for all the uh, the, the trouble this morning getting you on here
0: it's all good we're good to go
1: yeah this was uh, it's usually pretty seamless but we decided to give scott a hard time because uh, we're all bored and we have nothing to do um <laughs> So well, for those of you who don't know or don't have the privilege uh, or haven't taken the, the chance to read um, Scott's work, um Scott is someone who we've had on the show quite a bit, um, and it's been a blast talking to him about draft prospects and uh, Red Wings pipeline prospects uh, continually. Um, Scott, for uh, example, Scott is a champion of Joe Valeno, and so that's it. <laughs> A friend of the podcast in case you guys didn't know so um scott talk to us a little bit about uh these this top 100 what was it like putting it together and um how do you feel about you know the end results that said not knowing if you're going to update it again
0: yeah it was uh it was different this year i i've never been through an experience like this obviously none of us have and my process changed quite frankly, dramatically. I mean, my mid-season list comes out in February every year. So by the time the season got shut down, we were only a month later. Um, and obviously, I, I have in, increased, if you will, my uh, live viewings during that month for, for some of the kids. But I was really ramping up to go to Kelowna for the Memorial Memorial cup and come down to Detroit a couple of times, first for the frozen four and then for obviously there aren't draft eligibles playing in the frozen four, but first for the frozen four and then for u 18 worlds. And, um, I was just excited about some of the travel plans that I had. And then also some of the live viewings that I was going to get in and around Toronto. Um, I was, had a trip planned to Ottawa to, to go to Gatineau to see some of the kids in the queue. And, um, Obviously, none of that happened. so it 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 put it it put me in a pretty interesting situation. I think you'll probably see less movement than you typically see in my final ranking this year versus uh, in previous years just because I did lose those live viewings certainly i've I've spent more time watching tape for this ranking than any other that I've ever done. Um, my wife has has given me a hard time about it, but I've basically for the last couple of months when we've been in lockdown here in Toronto, just been poring over video. Nonstop for these kids in preparation for this list, and uh, that's a, a very different process for me than actually being in the rink and and seeing how fast these kids are moving on the ice and all of that. It, it's just a completely different set of barometers that you have to use to to measure these kids. And um, I know that might sound exaggerated. How can it's still the same game being played, but it really is a different evaluation experience. So it's it's been interesting, and and one of the things that I think I'm most looking forward to. Uh, say, five years from now is just looking back on this list versus my other list. And and not only that, but looking back on the way that NHL teams perform to see – whether there was sort of a market difference between this draft class and others because they've lost some of those viewings. I, I could see it going one of two ways. I could see it being, hey, we didn't put too much emphasis in U18 Worlds or the Memorial Cup or a kids' playoff run, and maybe we actually made fewer mistakes because we tend to overemphasize some of those big platform pole tournaments if you will and and maybe it goes the other way where we've lost we've certainly lost some some serious progression for some of these kids these kids change a lot between september and say may or june um a, a player like Raphael Lavois is always one that i point to like he just exploded in the in the qmjhl playoffs last year after what was a pretty disappointing regular season and i think that's part of the reason he went as high as he did to edmonton early in the second round just because we had another 20-game sample size from an extended Halifax Mooseheads playoff run where we could evaluate where he was at in in the present tense rather than looking back at viewings in October and November and trying to build out a ranking like I have for my final list here. So it's certainly different looking at sort of pre-Christmas tape um, for a lot of these kids when I went back and reviewed some of their tape than it is getting an updated look at where they're at physically and mentally and, and all of that with a sort of playoff run or that kind of a thing. So, it's it's going to be interesting. This draft is is I think going to be unlike any other in in a number of ways and certainly the way that teams are putting together their lists is is going to be a big part of that.
2: Keeping the conversation broad about this draft and obviously with the unique set of circumstances, one thing I find in a normal year is that a draft always tends to have a theme. It tends to be the year of the small offensive defenseman or the Mm. big power forward. Have there been any trends or themes that you've seen starting to emerge with this draft based on whatever the flavor of the year is for NHL teams or given the circumstances of having to scout extra heavy on video and, and losing a lot of those live viewings?
0: I think the big thing for this draft is just how light it is on on defensemen. Um, I kind of, quite frankly, said the same thing about last year's draft, too, though. I I believed a a year ago that players, and probably wrongly so, quite frankly, that players like Victor Soderstrom and Moritz Sider were more sort of mid-to-late first-round picks rather than that sort of top-ten pick, and we know... I've talked to with this at, with my colleagues Max and and Craig at the Athletic as well but, yeah, in in terms of the Detroit angle but we know that the draft just doesn't play out that way it it doesn't you're never going to have one defenseman taking in the, in the top 10 or two defensemen taking in the top 15 it's always going to be three or four guys minimum in that range so last year you saw players like Soderstrom and and Cider sort of slide up relative to where they were on my board um And again, quite frankly, they deserve, both of those players deserve to go give or take where they went. Um, So that was certainly a miss for me. But I think the same thing could potentially play out in this draft. I'm just not particularly high are many of the defensemen outside of obviously Jamie Drysdale who's going to be the first defenseman off the board and certainly Jake Sanderson has built a nice case for himself in the second half and was really good in in February and March before things shut down and has that skating that you look for in a sort of high-end defenseman today and all of those things but I'm just not fully confident that he's in that sort of top eight or nine for me I, I would be fine if he went 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th overall, that kind of thing. But um, again, that's really only two defensemen. The next D on my board, whether it's Caden Gooley, who I think has a chance of going really high, um, Emil Andre, who's a kid I'm probably a little bit higher on than most, Helgate Grands, who's a kid who has a chance to go higher than he probably should. Um, I mean, you go down the list, Braden Schneider is, is certainly going to be a top 20 pick, but I don't quite see him there. So, this draft, I think you'll see some darn good forwards falling just because the, it, there's inevitably going to be a number of defensemen that are taken quite high. Um, and I think that could create real value, a lot like it did last year for players like Cole Caulfield and Alex Newhook as they slipped um, and, and certainly others. I mean, you look back on that draft, Philip Tomasino, Connor McMichael, uh, there were a number of of sort of high end forwards who went uh, Nick Roberts into the leaps is another good example. Just just really quality players who slipped because teams felt they had to get their D at the top of the draft. Um, and I think that's going to happen again this year. You're, you're going to see five or six defensemen in the top 20. And I think there's probably only a case for two, three, maybe four. So uh, you, you could see some really, really good forwards fall. And then the other thing naturally that happens is that uh, I, I tend to be higher not because they're small, but because I think there's talent in a lot of those players. But I certainly tend to be higher on, on some of the smaller kids in the in the draft every year. That just seems to be the way that my board comes together for, for whatever reason. Um, and I think there's another example this year of, of four or five kids that are sort of five foot eight, five foot nine, five foot ten, who may slip into the second round because teams want this sort of safe pick in the back half of the first round and they're not prepared to take that kind of a swing. And I think that could be a a sort of huge competitive advantage in the early second round for teams that are prepared to take that kind of a swing.
2: Who are some of those players that could slip into the second round that you think uh, will yield the most value? Or basically what I'm saying is who's highest on your board that you actually think won't go until the second round, because obviously as a Red Wings podcast, pick 32 is huge for us. So we've been trying to eyeball potential. Potential options at that pick pretty heavily for the last few months.
0: Emil Andre is probably the player, just in in sort of thinking about it off the top of my head, who's highest on my board, who I think won't go in the first round. I had Emil 21st overall, and I just don't think there's anybody in my top 20 that's likely to slip out of that range so uh, I mean maybe Jan Meshak but even again given him the conversations I've had with people on Jan recently he's, he's going to be a first round pick and he should be a first round pick so you're probably looking at Emil Andre as the top guy on my board which is again kind of actually runs counter to what I just said because he's a defenseman but he certainly fits into that smaller mold um it, if this kid was five foot eleven and even the same weight that he is now uh, there would be no questions about whether he's a first-round pick. He has all of the tools. There's a flair to his game. He takes risks. He's able to execute on those sort of chances that he takes up the ice or off the offensive zone blue line. Uh, and he's extremely, for a kid who's five foot nine and plays defense, he's extremely physically strong um, in, in terms of those board battles and pushing people around in front of the net and that kind of a thing. So um, Emil's one that I would definitely keep an eye on as a sort of Potential top four defensemen long term who could be available in the um, second round. And then in terms of the forwards that I talked about, Zion Niebeck is certainly uh, a good example. He, he could be available in the third round. Um, just given some of the conversations I've had with people, Kasper Simon Teivel is another sort of five foot nine player who played. Uh, bounced between the pro levels in, in Finland this year and, and put together what I believe is a really nice year, but there are some who have concerns about his skating, which is also a concern that people share with Zion. Um, so those are two players who I think could slip. Uh, Carter Savoy is, is another one. Uh, he, he has built this very controversial persona for himself as a bit of a floater and a player who has to have touches. Uh, And I think some of those things certainly hold true. He, he, he's a kid who can disappear in games and definitely flees the zone and cheats up ice a little bit more than you'd probably like, but his ability to score and pick spots in the net is as high end as just about anyone in this class, other than some of those kids in that sort of top eight or nine range that I talked about. Um, And I believe that he's going to have a, a sort of impact right away at Denver next year in the NCAA. So, um, those are three forwards who are, are sort of in that twenties range for me, who I think could have huge value in the second or third round.
2: So I want to stay on a bit of a theme with forwards who could go all over the place. Now I know he's very, very high on your list and I think most people would bet on him not going in the second round, but I, last year, nobody would have said Arthur Kaliev was going in the second round. Exactly. You tend to be based on the list. I saw way higher on Noel Gundler than Uh most lists I've seen. What makes you put him as a top 10 pick?
0: Well, Gundler is another one of those players who I think the, the narrative that's, that's been built around him as this season has progressed, has gotten away from him a, a little bit. And I think gotten away from the reality of who he is as a player Whenever a player who is as talented as Noel is gets left off multiple Team Sweden, or it doesn't even have to be Team Sweden, multiple international teams for their country, uh, it raises some eyebrows. When, when you're Team Sweden and you don't take him to a number of tournaments, it sends a strong message that, A, you don't believe in this kid like you believe in some of your other countries' top players – And B, that there's something more there that we don't know. And then, of course, in the world of scouting, where everybody knows everybody, uh, people start to talk and there's uh, exaggerations that get floated out there. And there's always one of those kids um, who just falls and and sort of potentially builds a narrative that doesn't truly exist i think there's also an uh, with kids like noel who've been around for a while especially because he's an older player and people have seen him play so much um there's this tendency i think to overanalyze we see it with kids who are sort of on our proverbial scouting radar uh for three four years instead of on it for one with jack quinn it's okay this kid came out of nowhere he was playing triple a hockey a couple of years ago and and now he's a star in the ohl on the best team in if one of the best teams ever in junior hockey. So it, it, it's easy to get excited about a player like that. And it's easy to begin to nitpick players like Noel, who we've known about for forever. It happened with Jacob Chikrin in his draft as a player who was just, had been talked about since he was 14 years old. It happened with Timothy Williard. it. You can, you can go down the list. There, there are times when players uh, are overanalyzed. And I think that has happened with Noel this year. I think it happened with Arthur Kaliev last year. Uh, I think it happened with Bobby Brink last year where sometimes you just need to trust the production and you just need to trust the the skill set and you just need to trust that some of the sort of so-called issues in their game that they can figure out. And I think Noel's a good example of that. He's, he's got everything you would otherwise look for, everything that people talk about in other players that they absolutely adore. Noel has all those things and they don't have the same conversations about him. He has the size, he's six foot two, he can get to the net, he can drive the sort of outside lane. He's not a fabulous skater, but he's a good skater. And then the puck skill is, Is off the charts. I mean, for a player who's six foot two, he can create in small areas like few others. He's a dynamic breakaway threat when he gets loose. Uh, He can score on the power play. He can run a power play. There's just so much to like about his game. And uh, I had a clear sort of top eight or nine players all year. and, And I really struggled with that sort of 10 to 13, 10 to 14 range. And I ultimately just leaned at Knoll over some other players at the end of the year because I, I just think he'll figure some of the kinks out. He he can get a little bit stronger as a skater. The defensive game that some harp on, I, I don't really think it's a problem. He drove results in the SHL. He was a positive possession player. He wasn't getting shelled in terms of his goals for percentage at even strength. Like he there And then when you watch him, he's a fine player. I mean, he's is he the hardest working player in the world? No, but he certainly. Um, can play along the wall he he makes smart little decisions with a puck in in the defensive zone to create zone exits and uh, I I just really don't see much of a problem in his game and I think he's one of the the players in that sort of 10 to 20 range that I think has the chance to have the highest impact long term so uh, I was prepared to stick my neck out on him and we'll see but uh, I just really like him as a player.
3: So this is <clears throat> excuse me this is my first time looking at your draft rankings um and I typically don't really ever look at them but or uh, anyone's rankings um and I think the first thing <laughs> the first thing I I noticed was how high you had Marco Rossi and conversely Tim Stutzla was far lower than uh I would have thought he'd be um hmm. Maybe you can just talk through uh, sort of maybe, I don't know if that's a rationale compared to both of them, or why is Rossi so high and Stutzla is so low?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a fine question, and it's one that I've been asked 500 times in the last couple of months. <laughs> um, yeah, I figured. Just because, yeah, it, it's just, it, I think there's this perception out there that Stutzla is the third best player in the draft, and certainly I think he's of all of the players in that sort of three to eight range that I talked about, he's definitely the most likely to go third overall. The consensus in the NHL community is that uh, with most teams, at least is that he's going to be the third overall pick. Um, But uh, I think first of all, I should preface this conversation with all of those kids are extremely close for me. I could listen to an argument that has Tim Stutzla as the third best player in the draft. I could listen to an argument that has Jamie Drysdale, Alexander Holtz, Lucas Raymond, Cole Perfetti, Marco Rossi, any of those kids. Um, I'm, I'm not too hung up on where they're ranked in my ranking. And and that's a, a definite departure for me in terms of my list. I, I normally tend to argue that the, this whole all things created equal, you take the center or all things created equal, you take the defenseman is a little bit of a sort of lazy myth um, that these things tend to never be created equal. And there's always things in a player that you should be able to identify that project him higher in a lineup than another player. Um, the players are so different these days that there are no equals, if you will. But I, I think what's been interesting about this draft is I could see an outcome for all of those players where they're a, a number one player on their on their roster like where they are a true sort of borderline superstar level talent and i could see another outcome for many of those players where they're an a sort of impact guy in a, in that sort of 50 to 60 point range um, i think there's a little bit of volatility in, in pretty well all of those players and i ultimately settled on marco at number three and tim at number seven for a couple of reasons i think marco's the most complete player in the draft Um, In fact, I'm confident that I know that Marco is the most complete player in the draft. He does things that none of those other players do without the puck. And he still has that sort of offensive flair and that touch in front of the net and that ridiculous ability to handle the puck on the cycle and to literally have players bounce off of him. So I think the defensive play is what separated it for me. Even if Marco doesn't become a point-per-game player at the next level and a couple of those other players do reach that kind of a ceiling, I still think there's a very good chance you get more value out of Marco, A, because he's the likeliest of all of those players to stick at center, and B, because he's the best defensive player and he can play in late-game situations and he can play on your top penalty kill unit, uh, and he's going to be a monster on face-offs, and all of those things are just... Little details that he has that his peers don't and that, quite frankly, players his age almost never have in their game. Um, so that's that's what gave me the edge on Marco. And then in terms of having Tim lower than those other forwards, I think it, it, it comes down to a couple of things. I think his skating has created such a conversation that... Uh, some of the other details in his game can kind of get lost. He is a brilliant skater. There's no doubt about it. He's the best skater in the draft. He's one of the best skaters on the planet. He's going to be able to create breakaways for himself and be a dynamic transition player in the NHL. And he's certainly an excellent passer, but he he lacks some of that defensive detail that a couple of those other players certainly have, including Cole Perfetti and Lucas Raymond. Holt still has a little bit more work to do there. And I think his second half, quite frankly, was a little bit lackluster. People got really excited about him in the first half. He didn't burst onto the scene, but he was coming into the year. Most felt that he was probably going to be a middle of the first round guy, some guy that went in the teens. Um, And then obviously he burst out of the gate. He was a near point per game player in a very good pro league in Europe. And then he had an excellent performance at the World Juniors before he went down with an illness and missed the last couple of games for Germany. Um, And that just built such a fever pitch, especially because everybody back home, in particular with fans, could watch him on TV and say, holy shit, that guy can fly. Um, And that creates just an, an excitement with people, with both scouts and with fans. And I think into the second half, people just said, OK, there's your third overall pick. And, and they stopped paying attention, if you will. And I just thought he was kind of mediocre in the second half of the season. He didn't play to the same level. He didn't produce to the same level. He didn't earn sort of more significant minutes as the season progressed. And certainly that's hard to do as a 18-year-old playing in a prof- a very good professional league now. Um but it just it just never really seemed to put it all together, and then stylistically he's not going to be a great scorer at the next level, which obviously players like Profetti and Rossi and Holtz have an opportunity to be and i I'm not as fond as his ability to make plays in the offensive zone as I am with some of those other players he He can problem solve and he can play in traffic, but he's not going to be able to break a game open in the same way in the offensive zone or on the power play as someone like a Colt Perfetti or, or a Lucas Raymond. Um, he, he just, I, uh, maybe I'll be wrong about that. And maybe I'll look back on that as a mistake, but I, I just, I'm not quite sold on his ability to, to be more than a very dynamic rush player. And I w- I just wanted to see more of him in the second half.
2: So last year, one of the big talking points around the most cider pick was what to make of his season playing in a very we'll call it newly scouted league with the del because there typically wasn't a lot of prospects that came out of here and mm-hmm. it seems reading all the opinions on Stutzler's season this year uh, and like you mentioned with how he trailed off towards the second half of the year it still seems like nobody has a good answer for that so what do you make of stutzla him trailing off, but it's still being a professional league, but not to the level of the KHL or the SHL or Liga. Is, is that a concern, or is that still just a young player gassing out in a professional league?
0: Yeah, it's a good, it's a worthwhile question. I, I, I'm not sure whether it's a major concern. Again, I don't want, I don't want this to come off as me believing that there's some clear difference between Tim and Marco and Cole and Lucas and Alexander. I I really don't think there is. There's an, there's an opportunity if he puts it all together where his blend of speed makes him one of the best players in the world. Um, And and I think there's an opportunity for all of those kids to be that caliber of a player. Um, But uh, certainly it's not to the strength of, of, the SHL and the KHL. I, I'm not sure at this point, it, it would be interesting to see an updated look at NHLE to project some of this forward. But I'm not sure that the DEL is that far behind Liga at this point. Um, there is a definite boom or bust element that has started to develop in Liga over the last few years. Uh, It doesn't have the strength of North American players who are joining the the sort of Finnish pros over there that it used to, as a lot of players are beginning to decide to go to the NLA, which is the Swiss League. Obviously, the DEL has become in the last five, six years more of a destination for Canadians and Americans who don't make it in the NHL or the AHL here. And that has just started to prop up some of those other leagues and I think close the gap. I would say at this point that the NLA and the DEL – are are, if not there with Liga, they're not far behind. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what happens not only with Tim and and certainly with Moritz. I was obviously too low on Moritz at the time, Um, but it'll be interesting to see if, if they can continue to produce players, even if it's not in the sort of top 10 caliber like we've seen the last two years if they can continue to produce players like Lucas Reichel and um, John Jason Praturka and, and that caliber of a player and we can see them more consistently come through the DEL as an option instead of having those kids uh, like a McBach Bach who, who went to Sweden to pursue his career instead if they can start keeping players like Bach around it'll we'll begin to build a, a much better barometer for where these kids are at relative to their peers. And and right now, we just don't have that. So there's certainly a little bit of volatility in in analyzing someone like Tim. Uh, He also played on a very good line. I mean, he played with Ben Smith, who's a Stanley Cup and Calder Cup champion. So uh, it's not like he was playing on the third line and uh, driving results on his own. He was playing with very good players. They, they gave him a unique role that that players like Lucas Raymond just were not given. Lucas did not have anywhere close to the kind of opportunity to succeed that Tim had. Tim was on the top power play unit, and he was playing 15 to 20 minutes often. So. Um, it, 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 he, he was given every opportunity to succeed and he was playing on a team that in the context of the DEL, is much better than the sort of bottom five or six teams in that league. Like they, they would just run some of those teams over and, and he, he was able to pick up points in those games and that kind of thing. So I know that doesn't give a definitive answer to your question, but I'm not terribly concerned with his drop off. I still think he's a phenomenal player who is when I do my top 50 drafted prospects ranking, there's a real chance that all eight of those kids end up in the top 10 or top 15, which for a single draft class is unbelievable. So these are truly elite, elite prospects for sure.
1: Now, uh, as Brad and I are want to do, we have a little bit of a disagreement right now um, in that what will cause us to jump out of the window when the draft lottery comes about? Uh, Brad is pretty (laughs) steadfast that if it's not first overall for the Red Wings, he's going, uh, straight out that thing and going to defenestrate himself. But, uh, for me, it's, uh, what I view it as if this is a first overall or second overall win for Detroit, I am virtually just as happy. Not to say that Lafreniere and Byfield are on the same level. Um, But I see the gap between two and, you know, three to whatever uh, as being larger or a a significant enough gap to be just as happy about Byfield. And Brad's view is that the gap between one and two um, is larger than the gap between two and three. So what do you make of that?
0: Um, Well, I certainly think uh, it's a good question. I'm not sure which gap I think is larger. I think. Alexi has built a pretty pronounced gap. I I would start by saying that Alexi has distinguished himself ahead of Quinton in a, if not a significant way, it's pretty close. I mean, he, he's just sensational. Alexi is for a kid to be as talented as he is and not be a centerman. And for us to be having a clear cut conversation about the number one pick where there is no debate at this point. And for that to be a winger, it, it says a lot that we do, we rarely rarely see wingers go first overall these days. And when they do, they're often in some kind of conversation that prefaces them, in a one a one b conversation with another center, like we obviously saw with Taylor Hall and Tyler Sagan. And um, but it it it's pretty clear cut for Alexi at this point. I do think he's going to be the best player of this draft, which says a lot considering the strength of the top eight in this draft, which I believe is one of the sort of stronger drafts at the top that we've seen, certainly the strongest draft we've seen at the top since 2015, which could go down in history as one of the greatest drafts ever. Um, I, I just think without without the presence of a Connor McDavid or a Sidney Crosby, that this draft is basically as good as it gets. So, especially at the top. Um, so, so yeah, there, there's definitely a gap between Alexi and Quinton. And then the gap between Quinton and the rest is – it's, it's pronounced as well, I would say. I, I, I don't think there's a realistic argument to be made for any of those kids at second overall. Some will argue on Kim's behalf and, and have argued on Tim's behalf throughout the year, but I, I really do think that that would potentially prove to be a mistake. Um, Quinton's a a stud and I think one of the things that gets carried away with Quinton is that he has the most room for growth of the bunch Uh, if if you're going to knock a kid because he might not play in the NHL next year which I think is quite possible for Quinton there there may be players taken after Quinton who play in the NHL while he goes back to junior Um, then I think you're 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 looking at it terribly short-sighted so He's got tremendous room for growth. He's one of the youngest players in the draft. The athletic tools are through the roof. I watched him play when he was 15 and did a story on him when he was with the York Simcoe Express when he was 15. And he could not, I'm telling you, he could not skate back then. Like it was terrible. And I worried that some of the hype that had been built around him in minor hockey was built around the fact that at 13, 14, 15 years old, he was already 180, 190 pounds and six foot three. And he was just so much bigger and stronger than everybody else. And I worried that his skating and some of his small area skill wouldn't quite get there. And it has sort of surprised me with how quickly it has progressed, particularly considering his late birthday. Uh, He can really push pace through the middle of the ice now. And I think now at this point, the only concern that I have with Quinton in terms of his ability to be a truly dominant number one center in the NHL is going to be whether his face-offs and his defensive game and his ability to be relied upon off the pup can continue to progress. He made some progress this year, but he's, he'll he tell you he's, he cannot win face-offs. Like, he, he really struggles on draws um, – and whether we value face-offs or not in today's game and certainly a lot of us have begun to devalue them it's still something that nhl coaches care about um he, there are concerns about some of the choices that he makes with the puck and that kind of a thing but in terms of the raw upside and the ability to find a number one center who has size and and the skill to match that's it's it's once in a blue moon so he, he he's I would be salivating to get my hands on him and to sort of mold him over the next three or four years. He, he may sort of hit his ceiling a little bit later than some of those kids. And you're going to have to, in whatever media market he ends up on, in, they're going to have to probably be cautious to say, oh, we should have taken Marco or we should have taken Lucas or we should have taken Tim. If those guys begin to, to make their entry into the NHL and truly have a dominant impact right away. But long term, I think you're laughing if you if if Quinn doesn't go second overall and he slips or that kind of a thing. So uh, I I think he'll probably be the second best player in this draft. And the fact that he's a center um, certainly earns him some brownie points for me. So he's a stud. He's going to be really, really, really good. And he's might have the highest ceiling in this draft if all goes well.
2: So I'm I'm glad you brought up the fact that Byfield probably needs another year of junior because one of the debates we've even had on this podcast a few times is for players like Quinton Byfield who are so physically strong and dominant playing in a junior league against kids, it, it could almost hinder his development because he could go back to the OHL and just on, on pure strength and skill just crush that league. But he's not ready for the NHL. And due to the transfer agreement, he doesn't have another choice. But the conversation we've been having lately is, does he? Could you see a case for sending Quinton Byfield to Europe next year?
0: Um, I would probably argue against it. I-, I think he still has more to prove in junior. He would certainly be a big part of team Canada at the World Juniors. I, I think there's another echelon that he can get to uh which is crazy considering he was basically a two point per game player this year um but he i i i still think there's more for him to game there and i think he could be overwhelmed and thrust into one of those roles that i talked about lucas raymond being thrust into where if he goes over to sweden or switzerland or wherever and his coach doesn't feel that they can trust him defensively, you don't want Quinton playing 9, 10, 11, 12 minutes a night next year. If he's going to go over there, he needs to be sort of given a role, even if he doesn't earn it. Um, And he needs to play in sort of top offensive situations and play 15 minutes a night. I think that's the only outcome if he goes to Europe, which I am very confident that he's not going to go to Europe. But I, I think if he were to go that route, um, the only way that it that he it would make sense for him is if he's guaranteed some kind of minutes and, and usage role with his team because uh, he's he's the kind of player who I don't think is going to excel unless he feels like he's involved in the game and that may, that it could go south for him in Europe I think.
1: Uh, Scott, the Red Wings have an obvious need at let me just check my notes here every position of the ice besides maybe. <laughs> the right side on defense and even then it doesn't hurt to shore up um the foremost need for pretty much any team in the nhl at this point that doesn't have um, a superstar franchise centerman is Uh, a superstar franchise centerman Um, and that's not a knock on dylan larkin i think he's proven a lot of people wrong including us as to how he can fit in as a number one center but the most obvious answer for what is the best way to accelerate this rebuild is get a superstar true number one centerman Um, are the only options for that in your mind on this board Quentin Byfield and maybe Marco Rossi? Or is there a guy who could just be a, a home run swing like feast or famine? If you're going to get someone who can play uh, as a top six center or a number one centerman, um, this is someone you have to target in the like late first or second round.
0: I don't think there is, honestly. Um, I would certainly add Tim as a potential to that list. Obviously, we're not sure whether Tim's going to be a winger or a center at the NHL level, but I do think he has some of the tools to drive play through the middle of the ice, and centers get the puck more, and Tim's a player who excels with the puck on his stick. So I think you're probably looking at Quinn, Marco, and Tim as an option there. Uh, But beyond those three I don't know. It's it's tough. And I I really like Anton. I have a ton of time for Anton Mondo. I I think some of the conversations with him, a lot like some of the conversations with Noel, have have sort of devolved into this stratosphere where I don't I don't think they're based in reality uh, with with some of the sort of evaluations of his game. Um, I really like players like Jan Misak and, and Connor Zari. Uh, I really like Maverick Bork, but I, I, I'm not sure whether any of those players have that kind of ceiling. The, the first player that probably comes to mind is Hendrix Lapierre, who is, is that kind of boom or bust player at this point. At the beginning of the year, given the way that he played last year, he was in the conversation as a potential top 10 pick. Uh, And that which obviously says something considering the strength of this draft that I touched on. But uh, obviously, I I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar, but Hendricks suffered what he believed at the time were three concussions in nine months uh his season was derailed as a result two of those concussions were early in this season one of them was late in last season I actually recently did a feature on him where I I spoke at length with him and the doctors who treated him um and his agent and his general manager and and all of that and um they believe uh that it it was now actually a neck injury he suffered an original concussion late last season um that was a definitely diagnosed and correctly diagnosed as a concussion. But at that time, they believed that he suffered uh, not a crack, but a a, a displacement, if you will, in two of his vertebrae. and that the sort of headaches and the neck pain lingered, it lingered into this season. He came into this year off of a brilliant performance at the Helene Gretzky cup and everybody was all excited about him. And then as the hits began to pile up, his neck began to hurt and he began to have serious headaches. Um, and it took them some time to figure that out, but obviously he's now lost a season, and, and not only this season, but a big chunk of, of his previous season, and that's a, a huge, huge problem for these kids. It is this is one; these are some of their most crucial seasons in terms of their development, and that last time can really derail a kid. His skill set certainly. Leads a lot of people to believe, myself included, that he could potentially overcome it. He's a brilliant skater. He never stops moving. He's one of the best passers in the draft. But when you lose your draft year, it's it's a sort of long road. So he's probably the biggest swing and a miss, other than Yaroslav Askarov. I think anytime you pick a goalie at the top of the draft, it's a huge, huge risk. Uh, but after Askarov, I, I think Hendricks is probably the biggest risk of the draft, and. There's certainly an outcome for him where maybe he's not a number one centerman, but he's a a very impactful sort of just just below an all star level player uh, in a first or second line role, depending on the team. So Hendricks is is probably the closest thing that you're going to get after those three. But obviously, there's certainly risk. They expect um, in Shakutami that he's going to not only play next year there, but he's going to play both of the next two years there just so that he can get settled, move on, play some hockey, get dominant again, rack up some points, and then sort of go from there. So it's not like he's going to jump into the NHL at the year after next or anything like that. But the the skill set in terms of his ability to handle the puck and to get the puck back and then to make plays off of those retrievals – is high end. So uh, I'm excited to see what, what he does next year. And I think he, he could have a, a sensational sort of bounce back here in the QMJHL as one of those players who puts up 90 to hundred points kind of thing.
2: Well, we'd be a little remiss if we didn't talk about uh, Red Wings prospects here a little bit and probably going to make you jog your memory. Uh, and seeing as we were just talking about a prospect that seemingly chronically injured, you, not too long ago, did a, a gifted uh, article for your series on Jonathan Bergeron, who has yeah. now lost the a huge chunk of his last two seasons. Where are you at on him?
0: Uh, I I still think he's got a chance. Again, there's risk associated with players like that. Um, anytime that you, again, I, I'm repeating myself, but any anytime that you miss that kind of time, it, it's tough. It's, it, it's very hard to come back from, uh, in injuries when they start to pile up, especially when it's not even certainly with concussions, there's, there's more of a fear factor, but when you start to have, whether it's back or ankle or shoulder problems that flare up one or two or three times, um, it, it, it it's yeah, there, there's reason to be worried about where that's at. Um, with that said, though, I, I've, I'm still a, a big fan of his game. He has still managed in his sort of brief stints here and there as he's come back and played in the SHL, and some of those periods have been fairly extended. Um, he's he's still, still shown real, real tangible signs that he can impact a game at a high level in the offensive zone and off the rush at the pro level. So it, it, there's there's no shortage of reasons to be excited about Jonathan. The focus of my piece was about the sort of perimeter player myth. I think a lot of players get that perimeter player moniker, just like a lot of players get that sort of one-dimensional moniker like uh, Arthur Kaliev did. And it becomes the only thing that people think about when they think about those players. And I think Jonathan is, is one of those players. Um, but I love a player who can make plays from the outside. Not every... Coaches preach that sort of middle lane drive, and when you 're carrying it up the puck you have to be between the dots and that's where you're going to draw attention and then you can make your place to the outside from there and you can go outside in when you draw that pressure and when attention comes there's there's areas on the flank that you can expose and I think quite frankly that the same can be true from the perimeter certainly you're at less of an uh, sort of opportunity to score from the perimeter you 're not going to score from the half wall very often um, But when you can pull people into you and when you have an ability as a skater to open up and an ability to stick handle through players, it, it, when that pressure comes or pass through players, when that pressure comes, suddenly all eyes are on you, you're on the outside of the ice and people are starting to turn their backs to the play. And that's how you can expose people into the middle. So I, I think there's an element of going from the outside in versus going from the inside out, um, that that has that same kind of value in terms of if attention is on you and eyes are on you and you're pulling people towards you when you're in the offensive zone, you're making things happen and you're having an impact on your line more often than not. So I, I think there's an opportunity for Jonathan to be that kind of a player. Obviously, he's smaller and he's not a big kid and he's not going to overpower people and he's not going to score a ton of goals at the next level. But I think he's got a real opportunity to, to make an impact on an NHL power play. And I think he's got a real opportunity to be not even a complimentary winger in your sort of middle six, but to be a line driver, to be someone who can have the puck and transport the puck and make plays and sort of circle the zone and create, just create havoc when he's on the ice. And, and there's value in that, even if you lack some of the other qualities that you might hope for out of a sort of first or second round pick. Now, Scott, uh,
1: Albert Johansson, Red Wings um, left-handed defenseman, Uh, prospect signed his ELC yesterday Um, he was picked in the second round I want to say he was the third of their second round picks in 2019 yeah he was picked 60th overall in 2019 Uh, now after that pick or after that draft someone told Hakan Anderson that uh, they believe that when it's all said and done Albert could be the best of the Red Wings picks and that was the same year they drafted Mort's uh, Sider obviously sixth overall um Johansson's had some pretty good development and he's been depending on how much attention people pay pretty quietly impressive over time. Uh what do you make of Albert and uh that statement that was uh shared with um Hakan Anderson?
0: Oh, um a, c- a couple of things there. I'll I'll start with the statement. I don't think there's an outcome certainly we, now that we know what we know about more. It's that's not going to happen, but even with some of the other Red Wings picks, um I mean, I <laughs> I really, really, really like Anti Tuomisto. Um, So, yeah, I I think there's a little bit of hyperbole at play there, but that isn't to say that Albert isn't a a sort of legitimate prospect. Um, When you're his age and you're having an impact at... Arguably the third best pro league in the inarguably the third best pro league in the world. And you're not a liability defensively and you can sort of contribute off the rush and contribute from the offensive zone blue line and you can create exits and entries and those things start to pile up. So he's a, he's a smooth sort of calculated efficient player. I don't think he's ever going to be a sort of dynamic option. I don't think he's going to be a power play guy. I don't think he's going to be a big penalty kill guy. Um, But he's the kind of player who could just be a real nice piece at even strength, drive possession, complement a variety of different types of partners, um, and and just be a piece, just be a guy that you can trust and that you can rely on and who can play a regular shift. So I, I don't think that's out of the question for him. He's going to have to prove it. I think at every level this isn't a player who's going to be so good in the SHL that you just pluck him out of the SHL and he competes for a a sort of roster spot in in an NHL training camp. He's going to have to come over and he's going to have to pay his dues in the AHL. and uh, He's going to have to establish himself as a top four defenseman in Grand Rapids and and sort of go from there. Um, But there's definitely some nice qualities to him. He's smooth. I would like him to get a little bit stronger. That's always kind of been uh this sort of knock if you will and I'm not even sure whether it's a knock because he'll he'll get there eventually um but he's he's not a very big kid uh so we'll see he he, he I I like him as a prospect um I don't love him I don't think he's going to be a star or anything like that but he has got a chance to to be an NHL player and certainly that provides value at 60th overall
1: now Scott just to to close this out um we have to kind of double back to or, or circle back to our recurring segment here, which is Scott Wheeler talks about why Joe Valeno is an amazing player. <laughs> um, so, but in all honesty, uh, Joe had his first year in the AHL and um, it was a pretty standard year in that you would expect him to have some struggles and he did, but you would also expect him to shine in some ways. And he did. And, um, with the end of the season being canceled, the Red Wings uh, were robbed of a few things. One being a look at more outsider at the NHL level, but two also maybe Joe Valeno. Um, does Joe in your mind in, in his uh, development have an opportunity to kind of um, see maybe like half a season's worth of NHL, NHL time next year or possibly slot in as some center depth for a team that sorely, sorely needs it right now?
0: I don't think it's out of the question at all. Um again, he's not one of those players who I think should be in the conversation in camp. I, I would want him starting in the AHL uh, next year and just building some continuity in the AHL. I think if you throw him directly into the NHL next year, there could be some bumps in the road and then suddenly he's bouncing between levels. And uh, I'm of the opinion that you don't want that for any prospect. Uh, I think it it helps these kids, especially these young kids. Certainly if you've been through the ringer and you're 26 years old and you're established as an NHL, AHL guy and you're bouncing between the level, I'm I'm not worried about the kind of impact that that's going to have on you. But I think with different coaching staffs and different messaging and uh, living in a different location and playing with different linemates and in a different kind of role, all of those things can can add up to, to sort of contributing to a season that goes in the wrong direction. So I just think some certainty for him is good. They need to they need to have consistent messaging with him. And then I think when he does come up, he needs to stay up. So you're probably if I'm the Red Wings and and their development team, I would probably start him in the AHL at, ne- at for the sort of I don't know however long he needs to really find his groove next year. And then in the second half or after, uh, I mean I would normally say after. Christmas but Christmas is is going to be the start of our season next year um but in the second half of next season whenever that is they're they're probably again they're probably not going to have an all-star break but you begin to look to him as a potential option and you begin to tinker with him in the NHL and I think when that happens he can't be uh, playing on the fourth line like despite the fact that he's known as a player who can play up and down the lineup and who doesn't have to be in a sort of leading role and Uh, who has some nice qualities, obviously, certainly to his skating and developed in recent years, nice qualities to his physical game and his meanness and um, all of that. I I think that will be key for him. He needs to come up. He needs to play in a second or third line role, probably a third line role on the Red Wings to start. Um, And then he needs to play 10, 12 15 games in a row and you need to burn a year of his elc and you really need to give him an opportunity to excel you don't want a leon dreiss situation where he's coming and going and your coach doesn't know what he has in him and your coach doesn't give him an opportunity to learn what he has in him and um it, it he's going to need some consistency next year so I, I think that will be key for him is just start him in the ahl give him an opportunity to play in the top six give him pp one time Hopefully he challenges for sort of 0.75, 0.8 points per game. And then you go from there and and you start to give him a real opportunity to stick in the NHL. All
1: right, Scott, uh, we will let you go. We've had you for a while here. Thank you so much. Uh, everyone, Scott Wheeler from The Athletic cannot say enough good things about the work he's putting out. We have the link to uh, his final rankings uh, in the description for this episode. Uh, if you guys don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get 30 days free right now. Um, cannot 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 recommend this enough uh scott puts out fantastic work uh same thing as as uh, other draft analysts like Corey prom and obviously our friend max Boltman over there uh so uh, if you want some quality content be sure to uh, take a look at that trial and then check that out um scott there's going to be i'm sure a world of opportunity before the draft to talk again so uh, until
0: then thank you yep cheers let's do it again
1: and that was our uh, chat with Scott. Thank you so much, Scott Wheeler, for coming on the show again. I'm sure it won't be terribly long until we have him back. Um, draft content is um, has been extended this year. Whether we like it or not, we love it. And uh, there's going to be more to talk about, I'm sure. But uh, in the meantime, it was a great conversation with Scott. A lot to think about. A lot of opinions that... Maybe weren't ones that we would have landed on, or, you know, he always has a way of reinvigorating the Rossi hype train, which is, um, a fun conversation to have and one that we are going to continue to have. So, um, good talk. And, and if you guys haven't yet, go check out, um, Scott's rankings on the athletic. All right. Uh, play in preview, the playoffs slash not the playoffs slash, but technically the playoffs because the, um stats count towards the playoffs uh the let's do the another western conference series this week the series that we are picking is the nashville predators against the arizona coyotes um so let's talk a little bit about that series um how we think it might shake out and then make our predictions that will inevitably be wrong Uh,
2: this is the why aren't you better season series yeah Yeah, actually, that's very accurate. Two teams we had much higher hopes for this season than what they ultimately landed on. Um, Nashville, uh, supposedly still in their cup window, not in a position to be doing that right now. Arizona was supposed to take a big step forward with the addition of Phil Kessel, even more so with the addition of Taylor Hall. And that didn't happen. So it's a confusing series.
1: Yeah, you have Nashville, who has obviously that all-star defensive lineup uh, led by, you know, Roman Yossi having having an excellent year, uh, Matthias Ekholm. Their, their defensive core is always excellent, um, always held as like one of the best, if not the best in the league. Their offense, you know, has always been that thing where they're like, well, their defense is so good, they can't pass actually ask for a better offense uh but their true bane this year has been their goaltending um have not received good goaltending from either um Pecorine or UC Saros or enough where it's been a problem for for the team all season and that's why they may have or have underperformed and like you said with arizona arizona is that team that everyone wants to root for every year because you see that they're putting together good pieces but it kind of just You know, it doesn't come together in a way that you want it to. Like, any results that they've had have been largely in part to their... In the inverse of Nashville, they're excellent goaltending. Um, Darcy Kemper has been absolutely phenomenal this year. Um, And then Antti Ranta has also put up good good numbers after he went down... After uh, Kemper went down with an injury. So, um, it's not it's not cut and dry like yeah uc sorrow stepped in and will probably start for for nashville um come the play in slash playoff but at the same time like arizona should be way better they have taylor hall and, and phil kessel
3: haven't they been worse since taylor
1: hall was traded to them yes everything is expected because that goals are down right? yeah well taylor hall's talent lies in in the draft lottery of course that's his yes. biggest value so if nashville wins this series we're screwed lafreniere is going to arizona got it which is one of my preferred locations if not detroit this like, is true not even kidding because <laughs> that would piss off the nhl and arizona frankly could use some nice things but just for the love of god arizona move back to the city of phoenix so your fans can get to your damn arena my god it's my not favorite, hard. my favorite
2: narrative about this series i'm going to predict this before it even starts happening is when every talking head starts talking about how unbelievable Nashville's defense is when Arizona was the best defensive team in the Western Conference and allowed 30 less goals than the Predators in one more game. I mean, they also scored 20 less goals than Nashville, but still, it's it's unbelievable how good defensively Arizona is. And I know a lot of that is on the back of Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta. So... You know, no thanks to Phil Kessel and Taylor Hall, I guess, that they're even in a play-in series, but yeah, this is, um... Hmm, how do I put this? If run-and-gun high offense, just constant chances is your type of series,
1: don't watch this one. Honestly, this series will be made by whichever offensive group steps up in my mind. Um... I don't know, like Evan alluded to in a previous podcast, I think defense and goaltending are both going to be rusty um, coming out of this. You remember that abbreviated uh, NFL season where they pretty much had no preseason or like way less preseason than they were used to, and then the defenses just absolutely sucked when they came back for like the first three or four weeks? I kind of see the same thing happening with, with the NHL. I'm envisioning like wild run and gun hockey like creative beer leaguey. yeah yeah like creative players are going to thrive because it systems aren't going to be that set in place and it's going to be easier to make uh force the other team's defense to make a mistake so i think whichever offense can heat up here is probably going to have the advantage in the series that said that could all be a moot point if you see Saros or or um darcy kemper want to just you know turn off or turn on the lights and just go on a tear, I think a goalie is the single biggest difference you can make in an NHL playoff series. Um, but over a five-game series, I'm actually going to make the prediction that Arizona is going to take this 3-2. It.
2: I was just looking at this. This is the third play-in series we have previewed, and I think I'm going 3-for-3 three three on the lower seeds, which is ironic given how much I hated this play-in format originally, and then I'm going, well, because i i obviously have more faith in arizona's goaltending so rusty though it may be um i think the actual defenses between this team is these teams is probably a wash and so i think you're right it's gonna come down to offense in all likelihood and uh, my, my mentality with these playoffs is yeah natural talent is gonna carry teams more because that will have less rust Than um, your grinders trying to get back up to speed in order to contribute unless they just go balls to the wall, five guys in the crease, uh, which who knows could work. And man, they've done nothing in Arizona so far, but Phil Kessel and Taylor Hall might be the difference in this series. (laughs) Cause I, who do you like? The question basically comes down to who do you like more? Phil Kessel and Taylor Hall or Philip Forsberg and Ryan Johansson, maybe Victor Arvidsson in a five-game series. And I have no confidence in anybody in Nashville to be consistent other than Philip Forsberg. Uh,
1: Kessel and Hall would have to be on, which they haven't necessarily have been, right? all year Kessel especially you're expecting more but you're probably seeing his career or his his abilities start to wane a little bit i don't know i have a hard time get betting against taylor hall but he's one player i mean Arbit- he dragged the new
2: jersey devils to the playoffs what two years ago
1: yeah yeah i i have a lot of respect for him as a as a winger and how effective he can be but that said if you haven't seen the results in arizona so far is that just like an overtime, the chemistry has to kick back up or does he actually not work out there? I don't know. My, my guess is still going towards Arizona. I've never been enamored by by Nashville's offense, but
2: they did score 20 more goals than the Coyotes did this season. So like, okay, here's a quick pop quiz for you just to, just to drive home the point of how anemic, uh, Arizona's offense is. I'll give you one of their top three scores and try and guess the other two. One, number two in scoring on the Coyotes is Clayton Keller. Who's one in three? Schmaltz. Yep. He's number one. Yeah. And
1: number three
2: is... I will be deeply impressed if you get this.
1: Ekman Larson. Nope. Who? Connor Garland. Nah, no chance. Fat chance. I should change my answer. <laughs> There's no way Arizona's gonna win. No, I'm kidding. Fifth. Phil Kessel is fifth. Yeah, he's been bad. Like he's not been he's not been worthwhile over there. No, he only had 14 goals.
2: He was behind Christian Dvorak.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I like I don't know what to expect coming out of this. Like, we're gonna have like a however many month hiatus. Like, that's It's hard to predict. What if that's enough time for for Phil Kessel to have a rest or for Taylor Hall to get well integrated into the team? Like, you you just don't know. I think if this was a marginally better offense than what Nashville put out, Arizona would be totally screwed. But this is probably the best matchup they could ask for in terms of another team coming at them offensively. Mind you, um, if Nashville's defense, you know, all plays to their level and Yossi's not only good, but you know, Ellis and, uh, Ekholm also have a great playoff, then I think Arizona screwed, but like you said, this isn't going to be an exactly thrilling series, or if it is, it's going to be in a way that no one expected.
2: You, you know what? I think the more I look at this, I think we are massively over thinking this series, two bad offenses, two really good defense. I, this is going to come down to goaltending. I don't care how rusty you are. I think this series comes down to goaltending. Whichever team ends up with the higher save percentage, they're
1: winning. Probably right. Um, and apologies to listeners. I know Brad sounded like um, a transformer there. His connection was a little bit rough, but it seems to have recovered. Um, I think
2: it was because I had the NHL.com open. As soon as I opened it and as soon as I closed it, you could see the quality go. So yeah. that, that website is a cancer.
1: Your voice was uh, your voice was a little choppy and we were missing some of your words, which was actually a blessing. Um, any reduction in Brad Crisco's speaking is, is good for us. Um, but, yeah, we'll uh, we'll try to keep a tab on that moving forward. Anyways, uh, Evan, your – or Brad, what did you say the series would be? And you said it, you you think Arizona is going to win, but what in how many games? 3-2. Three, 3-2. Two. Three, two. And, Evan, what's your prediction?
3: I feel like there's going to be a lot of 3-2 series. So I'll yeah. go – I'm gonna overthink it. I think Nashville will still pull it out. I'll say three two Nashville.
1: Three two Nashville. Evan goes against the grain. Um all right. So our predictions are three two Arizona for Brad, three two Arizona for Ryan, and three two for Nashville uh Evan. Okay. Overtime? Should we do overtime?
2: Let's do overtime
1: over time we are going to head over to patreon where our patrons get their comments read out on air as our way of saying thank you for supporting the show and guys we cannot say thank you enough for supporting the show um i need to go you know i need to read more books to expand my vocabulary to find more ways to tell you how much we appreciate it but seriously um if you like this podcast, thank a patron because they're the reason why we're able to do this, especially during this shutdown. Uh, We'll start with Kyle Sander who says, Hey guys, don't worry. I haven't succumbed uh, to Corovid yet. Uh, I have some questions that are burning inside me that need answers. Um, One, why can't I be happy? Um, That's a question for Evan. Evan, why can't Kyle be happy?
3: (sighs) I'm searching for that myself
1: because he can't (laughs) break 50 on the front nine yes uh favorite music album that you can listen to all the songs uh in those greatest hits albums don't count soundtrack to hamilton is dope as hell um
2: i thought uh my answer i was gonna give a hipster douchebag answer but thanks for that ryan i'll feel better (laughs) about my answer now (laughs)
1: it's the most popular it's one of the most popular uh broadway shows of all time and it uses rap it's get people are gonna listen to the soundtrack i don't think that makes me a hipster i think what makes me a hipster is one of my other answers was the first two mumford and sons albums you can rip on me for that one yes uh let's
3: i can't even think of anything
1: evan you have to pick between these two activities one of them you can never do again number one consume alcoholic beverages and number two golf
3: Wait, is that even a question?
1: Yeah. Like I'd gladly
3: one? not drink. It'd make me better at golf. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I have a beer, I'm terrible.
1: Uh, Brad, I'm going to keep it 100 with you, pal. They should play this podcast in high school gym class because at least to me, your tales of parenting are an extremely effective form of birth control. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: you want to hear the horrifying part about my uh, my parenting stories? By all accounts, I have two good kids. Could you imagine having... a? Uh, like I uh, problem child. <laughs> oh man, I would die. Neither of my kids had a. Oh, what's that condition called where they just cry all the time when they're colicky? Colic. That's it. I, I avoided that on both,
1: and still. Um, what's the better '80s movie: Top Gun, Predator, or Red Dawn? Oh. Predator, Top Gun, Mavericks, and a hole.
3: It I has like to Red be Predator. Dawn.
1: Predator. Predator.
3: I haven't seen Red Dawn.
2: <laughs>
1: uh please promise me it's gonna promise me it's gonna get better it's gonna get better thoughts on square toed? <laughs> no
2: it's not have you seen 2020 <laughs> we're working our way up to the asteroid
1: thoughts on square toed stick blades my brother says they're stupid and pointless uh, i mean they have two points on them it's on the blade sure. um <laughs> i like them because i like jamming my stick up against the boards
2: okay square toe blades have one use and that is to catch the puck cleanly as it's being rimmed around the boards ryan is correct they are terrible for every other aspect of the game of hockey if i ever see a forward using one of those i immediately assume he's never scored a goal in his life
1: um and then lastly ryan still waiting for that shell game that was promised that wasn't a question but i stand by it yeah I'm, i'm slowly trying to get through the list of people who want to play i still need to make my drop in character i've just not been doing that uh jacob lozon says greetings friends and brad uh, in your opinion both objectively and subjectively who will be the next red wing to be retired uh keeping in mind that the lhs are basic." Uh, maybe their number being retired. Keeping in mind that the Elitches are basically Slytherin. Larry Ori's number was unretired in 01. The fact that Konstantinov's number has not been honorably retired by the franchise and the bitter taste that some fans have about Sergei Fedorov and his offer sheet. P.S. I have a daughter, Mika's age, a newborn son, and a 70-pound great Pyrenees puppy. Do not believe Brad when he says he is tired. It's not that hard. Weak sauce. I like Jacob. You need
2: to do more with your kids then,
1: buddy. <laughs> um well well i'm not getting in the middle of this fight um (laughs) next red wings uh number to be retired has to be 91 i don't think i don't understand how you move forward without putting Fedorov in the rafters
2: that would be who i would pick that's not who i think will be retired next i think the next number we're actually going to see go up will be 40
1: but do you put up 40 without 13
2: again i I don't disagree with his point that the Illiches seem to be vindictive because they unretired a number and ninety one still not up and if you' if they feel some kind of way about Fedorov, you can understand that they would feel some kind of way about how Datsuk left ah uh, yeah I can't I think it's gonna be hank honestly I don't. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Fedorov and Datsuk both go up one day, but I don't think it'll be next.
1: C Nods says, hey guys, couple of league questions for fun. Next team to move cities and where to? Oh. Hot I mean, take the, Florida and they go to Quebec City.
2: That was gonna be my guess because I don't they've the NHL's moved hell and earth to keep Arizona in Arizona. So I assume as soon as the arena deal in Florida goes south, they're gone. <laughs>
1: Uh, what's your guess on the Seattle team name and who do we lo- lose? I'm guessing D Boy Danny. Seattle Kraken, and I agree with you it'll be DeKaiser. I I
2: what other defense are the Red Wings gonna protect? It's gonna be him, Haronic, and Chalosky that they protect. Nobody else worth protecting, so I Nobody relevant? Lindstrom, maybe?
1: Yeah. Give a superstar in the league that has the unfortunate circumstance of never winning the cup like Jerome Ginla, Lundqvist. Oh, that's the best answer. Uh, how many years until we get back to the normal NHL schedule? Mm, 2022, I'd say.
2: Not. Yeah. Yeah. 2022.
1: How much more likely is a lockout because of this whole thing? Cheers. Um, I think less likely. Yeah, that could be could be me being an optimist, but um, I think they're going to want to minimize the amount of revenue already lost because of all of this.
2: Uh, but because of all the revenue lost, both sides are going to try and pinch every penny. So I say odds of a lock up go uh, lockout go up 20%.
1: Um, RC Tendy is not hockey related, but my wife and I moved into a fixer upper back in early October. Hey, very similar to myself and uh, Mel. Um, In the past five months, I've completely redesigned and updated our kitchen, added about 30 square feet of countertops, put in all new flooring throughout the house, and I just built a deck by myself off the back this past Saturday, and now we're planning on finishing the full basement. Everything is really nice, but now I'm very tired and very poor. Oh, man, I cannot imagine. Good for you. Um,
2: I'm I'm doing a deck soon if you want to come over and do that, too, because I really don't want to.
1: Moose said, I recently did a draft simulator where Brendan Brisson fell to pick 32 and the Wings took him. Would you take him there in real life, and are there any players you'd take above him? For for instance, Paterka and Reichel were still on the board.
2: I would likely take either of them over Brisson. Brisson had a great year in the USHL. Uh, he's good. Um, haven't done my deep dive on him yet, but just looking at the boxcars, I'm wary of an A late birthday overager still playing in the USHL at that point. Um, So his his stats got to be taken with a bit of a grain of salt because most kids have graduated from the USHL at that point are in the NCAA. So I am very interested to see what I'm going to find out when I actually do start scrolling through his history in depth.
1: Uh, Dead Panda Society is back with some more uh, NHL 20 ratings questions. Um, next up on my roster construction, Svechnikov. Uh, 77 on Svechnikov. Hiroshi, Oh, you have to go like 72 on him. Rasmussen. You think
2: Svechnikov would be higher than Hiroshi? Yeah. Hirose's done more in the NHL than Svechnikov has.
1: All right. Well, fine. They're both 74s. Uh, Rasmussen. 75?
2: 74? Yeah. Uh, 76, 77. If we've got those two out of
1: 75, I think Rasmussen's potential should be a touch higher. DeKaiser. The game would have DeKaiser at an 82, not knowing. I would put DeKaiser at like a 79. Yeah, he's probably in the 80s. 80. Bernier. I'll have Bernier at an 83. They're always
3: rather high.
2: uh, Based on his season, I'm going to say 94.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Should be. Uh, these are the last pieces for the Red Wings roster. But now, next up, from some prospects. What overall do you believe uh, these guys all have? Lafrenier, uh Stutzla, and Byfield. Like right now, or what can they
2: reach? Because... 99, 97, 95.
1: <laughs> what would they be in their first year? 80 for Lafreniere, 80 for Byfield, and 70 five for Stutzla. not sure that's a it almost doesn't matter for first year players uh matt says hey guys now that our season is officially over i'd like to congratulate jonathan erickson on a long successful career and wish him well going forward he was often a punching bag for many of us but he took a demotion to the ahl in his final season like a pro and hopefully taught our young guys a thing or two about class that's a great point matt and um honestly like no matter what the opinion was on him as a player one of the best uh guys on the team and so um good job jonathan erickson last overall pick and made a great career of it
2: i'm happy we get to uh get past the kicking jonathan erickson phase and uh we're in the fondly
1: remembering jonathan erickson phase jake kiefer says who would you say is the best overall player to ever play for the wings i'd say lidstrom oh good question uh (laughs) <laughs> it comes down to how and Lidstrom, right?
2: You can make a case for either of them or Iserman. You can yeah. absolutely make, like Iserman, again, he doesn't get the rec- recognition he deserves because if you wipe Gretzky and Lemieux from the face of the earth, he's the best player in the NHL from like 85 to 95. Yeah
1: if you're like when people talk about greatest of all time like and this is fair but they often integrate legacy and that's what propels how to the top here there's the uh, there's the side of it that like strips away all consideration of like how they were relative to their time and you know those people are saying well you know Christian Dvorak is better than Gretzky was because hockey's better now and like that's a silly thing to do because it's pointless as an exercise. So I think you can't strip away the fact of, like, you have to measure against their competition at the time. I think it's Hal. Um, and I think, you know, this is a a photo finish between Hal, Lidstrom, and Eiserman.
2: The three nicknames for them are the Captain, Mr. Hockey, and the Perfect Human. How do you determine between that?
1: We've, been, we've honestly been so blessed as Red Wings fans for when you're talking about the greatest players in your franchise's history, and it's indisputable that Pavel Datsuk doesn't even reach the top three. You are blessed as a fan of that team. You could
2: make a case he doesn't reach the top five, and that's staggering. Wild. <laughs> and then you look at like, not, th- not to dub on them, but f- like, honestly, for comparison's sake with another general six team, look at the Leafs. What arguments are you making? Sundin, Sitler, Keon, none of them sniffed the Red Wings top five. They wouldn't even get consideration.
1: Yeah. My like, finalized- I, I will,
2: I will bet money 30 years from now, Austin Matthews is the greatest Leaf of all time. Oh,
1: I don't, I think it'll be five years before that. Yeah. <laughs> honestly. He's probably in the top five now. Be Like, if they win a cup or multiple cups, Matthews, Marner, and Tavares are all going to be in the top five. That will be the top three. Yeah. Um, my final answer is how, and if you want to argue with me, I will literally accept your argument and change my answer. That's how close it is.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of... I think you said legacy is the right word uh, It's too soon For Iserman and Lidstrom to even Come close to the legacy that Howe has So it, it's gotta be him
1: Evan how about you
3: What was the question
1: <laughs> Yeah standard I greatest was
3: listening wing. before but it uh, You guys started going into the weeds And I started looking at golf shoes
1: Great, Greatest <laughs> red wing of all time
3: <laughs> Oh man uh, You said Lidstrom Iserman Howe right Yeah yeah, how do you argue with any of those three? Oh. maybe maybe it'll be Del Vecchio though. Oh, <laughs> this. oh, it's this again, <laughs> Jesus.
1: Uh, Tate says I have a couple of golf questions for Evan. What's your best score ever?
3: Um, I'm trying to think. I had a bunch of seventies last year. One year I had a seventy-two, but uh, right now mid-eighties where I play, which is about. Course is almost seven thousand yards from the the tees I play at, so that's that's pretty far for me. Uh, have you had any hole in ones? No, not nothing even close right now.
1: Uh, and you're on a three hundred yard par four. Are you driving the green or laying up? Oh,
3: driver all day. Nobody <laughs> <laughs> lays up a three three hundred yard par four. Not people uh, I play with anyway
1: joseph Fournier says just finished binge watching community it was so much better than i thought it would be a tremendous cast and easily one of my favorites which makes the letdown of the series finale sting much more and i'm bothered by the amount that it bothers me maybe that's the point i want to ask dan Harmon, who heard him any of you fellows have thoughts on community uh your thoughts are exactly mine joseph
3: i've never watched it no me neither but i see all the memes
1: it's funny as hell uh, Ryan have you and Mel started 30 rock yet no god no I have to be careful what shows I start with Mel because if I started with her I have to keep watching with her and she is inconsolably bad at watching shows like unless it's like a quick like 20 minute sitcom which I mean you know 30 rock practically is she doesn't want to watch like we've been on season three of the crown now the the crown has taken us like years to watch and we're still not done because she just gets like it's, if it's past six p.m., she goes. Oh, it's too. It's, hot. it's too late. I'm tired. I don't want to watch like a crummy, like a sad show. I'm like, it's not. You don't have to be sad. You can just watch it and continue to be happy in your life. I don't know. So, but no. The the long answer to that is no. You look like you're gonna say something, Brad. Nope. Uh, Joseph's lawyer says, hello, prick guy, cop guy, and golf guy. I have discussed your insultingly low settlement offer with my client, Mr. D'Elia. And while he very generously appreciates that you're making steps towards reconciliation after the heinous terms and conditions breach, this is not enough to buy his silence against my advice. My client has requested the following as a starting point, golf guys, autograph a lock of prick guy's hair to be able to beat cop guy like a pinata at the next meetup future considerations to be discussed privately i feel like
2: i lost that
1: you did furthermore i've been contacted by other patrons many who wish to remain anonymous with varying degrees of complaints most concerning for you would be the act of cyberbullying my newest client terry is most upset with the content of your talkie show and he'll spearhead the class action uh we will consider that offer and get back to you joseph slayer uh, jersey time. Ryan was correct last week with his Green Canada World Junior uh, Championship jersey take. Top three jerseys with an animal on them. Go. Oh, Ooh.
3: Jesus Christ. Um, What's the dollar one?
2: Ducks is an animal, so I'm going ducks from the mid-90s, the OGs. I mean, whalers, it's a whale tail. It's part of an animal. Fight me.
1: Um, Sabres, royal blue is a good one, and they have a buffalo on them um oh kachina has the the coyote on it i'll go kachina i'll go a little bit off the 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 beaten path here with the sabers royal blue and yeah the mighty ducks
2: how dare you blasphemous bastard we have a a part of a bird on our logo
1: it's no it's not part of a (laughs) i know Uh, i was like wait what did i do uh just to Uh, piss
2: ryan off i'm gonna go with the original panthers jerseys because of the leaping cat
1: so bad
2: it's so bad
1: (laughs) dude my elementary school used their logo that's how bad it is it's awful it's just so it's not a good sports logo and the jersey was worse to boot when they put piping on a florida panthers jersey i went that actually doesn't make it worse because it was so horrendous to start It did make it worse. Piping was awful.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that is the worst opinion you've had. Uh, No, my third uh, animal jersey is obviously the Orlando Solar Bears.
1: Oh, hell yeah. Um, Stay fresh and legally served cheese bags. All right. uh, Well, we have time for some Reddit questions here. Ooh, this is a good one. Holy moly, what a goalie. Says, please rank the following goalies bell flurry and price as in if they are all entered uh, eligible eligibility for the hall of fame at the same time who should you who would you say should get in first second and third that's a good one that is a very hard one to answer and i think the only thing i'm confident in is that carrie price goes in third there which is kind of nuts because his overall talent level might be the highest
2: what carrie price is number one for me what has he accomplished Gold medals in every international thing he's ever played in. Yeah, that's a fair point. (laughs) It doesn't
3: count when you play for Team Canada. It
2: doesn't count when you play for the Montreal Canadiens. They've been garbage his whole career. And yet they've still got to multiple conference finals with him in net. He has dragged mediocre teams to the precipice of the cup. Kerry Price is number one on this list. Mark Andre Fleury has three cups, and he wasn't even the starter for two of them. He's never won a Vesna. Correct me if I'm wrong. Kerry Price has, I think Belfour has one or two Vesnas, um, but for the lo- Belfour at least has the argument of longevity right now, which in all likelihood Price will have as well. But I
1: go Price, Belfour, Fleury. You've argued. Oh, that's tough, man. That's hard. You've made a good case, but it's just like... The, the, does the cup not matter? I'm, How many Vezinas has uh, Carey Price won? Actually, that'll be... I'd be
2: shocked if it's not multiple, but...
1: Vezina Trophy in 2014-2015. There you go. Heart in 2014-2015. Oh, got he a heart! I forgot he I won forgot the
2: about that. I forgot Yeah, the there was this season where Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin existed and Carey Price was the best player on the planet. Yeah, no... I just cemented my my argument. <laughs> All right, but Eddie the Eagle. Eddie was great. Eddie's cup no in 09, or not 09, 99, right? 99 cup with Dallas. I think he's got uh, at least one Vezina to his name, was dominant with the Hawks in the 90s. Uh, career trailed off in the 2000s. So it was still good for the Leafs. Um, but yeah, no, he's he, he never dominated like
1: Price has. I take back what I said about Price third. I think Fleury's third here. And I think think by the time their careers are all said and done, I think you'll probably be right, Brad, that it's Price one, Belfort two. But right now, if someone argued hard for Belfort number one based on his legacy, it would be very, very difficult um, to call them completely crazy uh darn fox says would you take shakir muka first pick of the second round he's a left-handed defenseman in the khl had only one point in 27 games but in russia secondly he had 10 points in 13 games absolutely not uh that'd be a little bit early for me i think there's some higher uh talent level or higher ceiling players that would probably be available there like guys who slipped out of the first you can view pick 32 as essentially a late round first at which point you take the guys that shouldn't have fallen out of the first round and you get first stab at them I'd
2: hear an argument for the third pick of the second round or the first pick in the third round, but that would be heavily dependent on who's still available. Because I, uh, I have a second round ranking on Muka Medulin right now, but he's late second.
1: Uh Dekagard says, uh, draft questions, is Stutzla seen as a possible number one center in the NHL? Uh yes. Uh yeah, if he if he does play center then and Struzzo pan- panning out means that he has a possibility to be number one center, so yes. And he if, himself has said he sees himself
2: as a center for whatever that's worth.
1: Is Drysdale seen as a first-pairing guy, possibly even a number one without huge point totals? Um, I will say first-pairing,
2: yes, but n- number one's a bit of a reach. But again, you never know, depending
1: on the team. If you have a scale of what they can reach, like the full breadth of it, I think number one is on there, but the, the likelihood is... It's not. He's no certain to be a certainty to be a number one, but I think, yeah, um, Drysdale can, and I mean, if he pans out, almost should be a first pairing guy. Um, could Lundell be a surprise pick going real early because of being both a legit center and having legit NHL size? Ooh, yes, um, for those reasons exactly.
2: A hundred percent. He uh, is the argument for production over style.
1: Um, the magic man, 1343 says, I know it's far in the future and you always go BPA, but is next year, the draft where the Red Wings find that star number one defenseman,
2: uh, right now it's shaping up to be given that the Red Wings will be picking very high and that there's right now three to four defensemen, uh, in most top five rankings. So it's, it's
1: looking strong on D. Jarvik Seven says, all of a sudden it's hot as hell in summer. Talk to me about Raymond, the Swedish guy. What's in it for us if we draft him? What do Mitch we get Martin. out of Luke? Yeah, that that was essentially what we we landed on.
2: If he pans out the way to what I think he is, we get Mitch Marner out of this because that's his
1: comparison for me. You know what I realized we didn't talk about? Mm. Albert Johansson. Oh, we'll uh, yeah.
2: Well, well, we, we, no, well, we we asked Wheeler about him. That counts.
1: Oh, yeah. We'll chat more about uh, Johansson next episode. And of course, um, we'll be coming to you at that midweek. In the meantime, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, patrons will be dropping a Patreon exclusive episode very soon. Um, just another little fun one here for you. So um, we are going to or keep your eyes out for that. And uh, again, now that things uh, are slowly opening back up, elsewhere in the world, not where we are, but uh, vendors for merch and and giveaways and stuff, we're slowly going to get caught up on shipping that stuff out to you guys. So thank you for your patience. Thank you, patrons, so much for continuing to support the show. All of our listeners, subscribers, our name-level followers... The septic tank of that bitch, Carol Baskins, Greach, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer, Dead Panda Society, Brad Smith, Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Kayla Thompson, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Clayton Van Dyken, Kaylin Wood, Hassam Al Arjun Shanker, Charlie Elkins, Hannah Lee, Josh Rosnowski, Alex Ott, Chris Frank, Connor Leighton, Danny Jr., Matthew Keeler, Simon Anderson, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Kawaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you all so much. We love you. And we will see you soon, provided that Brad hasn't literally burnt to a crisp.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Pod, And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at W. WP and at Hockey Town Evan.